Greetings everyone and welcome to Quality Bites, where we explore leadership for safety and quality in healthcare from a range of different perspectives and experiences. I'm Dr Cathy Balding and it's my great pleasure today to introduce you to Jackie Phillips. Jackie is the CEO of Numerka District Health Service, a small health service in rural Victoria. The town of Numerka was inundated by devastating floods in 2012, including the hospital. And this is Jackie's leadership story from hospital evacuation through to temporary hospital through to rebuilding. I hope you enjoy listening to Jackie's lessons learned and what she will take from that into her future as a healthcare leader. Okay, welcome Jackie. It's just lovely to have the opportunity to talk to you about your adventure <laughs> that began on the 4th of March, yeah. 2012. Yeah, thanks Catherine. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what happened that day? Um, yes, well I'll start a bit before that because we well, there was an incredible rainfall in the week prior to the 4th, like in the, in the days preceding. So I'd set up our emergency management and invoked our um, emergency management plan in those days preceding. Um, and was in contact with the relevant authorities locally. Um, and then we were being given information that we were, America was going to flood, so we were preparing for that in accordance with their timeframes, um, which was the following week, Monday, Tuesday, they were talking. So I was having daily meetings with my emergency um, team and we were getting everything into place got to Saturday and it was evident that the water was rising fairly quickly and I live locally and so I was in town that morning and trying to get sandbags etc as part of as part of the community as well and I actually made contact with SES that day and said I'm not sure about this it looks like we've got rising water a bit faster no 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 it'll be at least Monday I wasn't convinced, so I actually called an emergency plan, emergency management meeting that afternoon on Saturday afternoon. Everyone went home, but I had everything in place. And at three o'clock the next morning, on the Sunday morning, I got the phone call to say, we're in a spot of bother here. So I got in. From, from the hospital? From the hospital, rang me. And um, so I, got, I went straight in, and I'd actually packed a bag the night before. You don't have to put that in. Because <laughs> I knew I was going to, I had a new I think that's called. an important thing to have in there, Jackie. <laughs> I think we'll leave that in. And I went in, and I, and I was managed to get through quite a lot of water to get in. And yeah, we were we were in trouble. They, there had been no sandbagging. The there was pallets of sandbags in the back car park, ready to be, I'd say, put out the next morning. And so they were flooded by that stage. So the water came up the back of the hospital. So what was flooded? So, what did you? What greeted you? Uh, what greeted me was water surrounding the perimeter of the hospital building at the front, so up Catamatite Road, and going down Melville Street South. And when I went out the back of the hospital, what greeted me was our back car park completely flooded mm. and water running through our Gondolin Court, which is our retirement village. That was my immediate safety concern was mm. the retirement village. So 11 retirement independent living units with water rushing down Gondolin Court. So at four o'clock, I was door knocking all of those places and talking to them and preparing them to evacuate. And they didn't want to evacuate no. and at that point we were still unsure how fast because I, I wasn't getting information at this point the nearest information I could get was from the emergency control centre in Shepparton they hadn't opened up anything in Warrishire they had opened up a relief centre though 
So, and the information was really difficult to get. So I was managing it as I was watching water. So we made a decision to evacuate Gondolin Court. I called in the local SES guys and the local ambulance guys and they assisted us to do that. So we evacuated the, that group into the multipurpose room, which I knew wasn't going to get inundated. Well, I was hoping it wasn't because it was built to one in 150 year flood level back in 2005. Right. So we did that. So by seven o'clock, they had, were all evacuated, and then it was a matter of contacting families and getting them distributed where we could. Yeah. And the use of, and by this stage, the bridge in town was cut off. So between three o'clock in the morning and six o'clock in the morning, that bridge was cut, and no one could get over except unless they're in a four-wheel drive or a fire truck. Mm. So Jackie, what was so, the issue with not knowing that? the waters were going to rise so quickly. I think it was, everyone was taken by surprise. I think there was a lack of information getting through from the locals. Mm. They weren't able to give it, get it to us and they hadn't thought about the, about the town going underwater so quickly. There's a, it's well documented about the conflict that went on between the external agencies, the controlling organisation of SES and then the local SES and mm. local information the CFA, yeah, there is a lot of documentation yes. around that. Yeah. And the hospital, unfortunately, was at, bore the brunt of a lot of that, yeah. yeah. So, and then it was about patient safety yeah. as well, because as all this was happening, so I was delegating what I could, but I've also called in the um, HR manager and some other key staff to come in. Of course, it's a Sunday. And it's a Sunday yes. morning, um, and I'm calling people at five o'clock in the morning to say can you please come in and they had to go to the CFA and we, they then had to wait for transport down and so that proved quite tricky so they were coming down in dribs and drabs mm. I then needed to get some staff home but I was also needing to manage the rising flood waters yes. and which started coming in yes. through the palliative care unit but all we yeah. had um, 12 13 patients inpatients in even though we'd done the risk assessment, we hadn't actually prepared to evacuate from the entire site. We had prepared to evacuate to Corinna, which is a one in 150-year flood right. built in yes. 2005. Mm. So that was our plan. And then we had rising water through up right coming up into Corinna through the stormwater and sewerage system. So at 7 o'clock, around 7 o'clock, a bit after, I, did, I made a decision to evacuate the entire site which then involved Ambulance Victoria were then able to come in, but they had to get up. I've got Shepherd and Emergency Control Centre ringing me and asking me exactly how high is that water, Jackie. Mm. So that's, you know, it was, so I was managing all of that. So yeah. by that, and I'd rung the regional office, the, um, the regional director around six o'clock on mm. his mobile and let him know that, I was in. We're we're in trouble. So then it was just in, then it was just managing the evacuation through the day. So we started the evacuation process at half past seven in the morning, and it finished about half past six that night. Mm. And we also palliated someone that day as well in the middle of all this. So it was it was an incredible day. We had volunteers, we had staff come in, and we were because we had to manage the acute side of it and evacuate them. We had to find hospital beds because there was no centralised person I could go to to say hey, where are some beds mm. and where can I get access to beds um, so I actually had to have a fair understanding of what roads were blocked locally and Shepparton had become blocked Yarrawonga was uh, roads were blocked Cobram was an option 
but then it was a matter of contacting the CEO and so I used all my contacts to do that and so so that was and then we had to do it in two stages we needed to evacuate the hospital quickly and then they came those patients came up to Corinna we evacuated there and then we had to find 28 aged care beds across the region so Ambulance Victoria came in and did that and their commander worked with me really closely and we put in place the the process to evacuate and we ended up using um, helicopters four-wheel drive ambulances to get people out um, during the day. So did the size of the flood supersede your previous emergency plans and evacuation plans? Yes, yes. This was a new situation? New situation, yep, it was. To my knowledge, the hospital had actually never had to be evacuated. It had, had certainly had floods and it had certainly been sandbagged and the locals will tell you and were telling me mm. and they were trying we I had volunteers trying to sandbag the hospital as it was flooded like it was a very emotional mm. situation yes. for the locals yes. and for the staff and you know a lot of questions why weren't they here yesterday why weren't the army here yesterday yeah. why so there was a lot of that to do yeah. and then the media arrived mm. so then we were managing the media so Jackie yeah. when you say we it sounds like you've got a little army of people helping oh. you manage but I suspect you didn't have an army of people helping you manage so how did you prioritize i prioritized patient and staff safety first and so that was my priority throughout the whole day and also community safety as well because we had i had people coming in to assist which was great but it was a matter of finding them roles to do and also i had to prioritize working with the ambulance service who were managing the evacuation and making sure that they were getting the right information about the right residents to determine the correct mode of transport for them to get out safely so that was really important so then it was contacting doctors and I I did have some staff there I had I we didn't have a lot of staff but we did have some staff there with good knowledge that were able to do that Mm. so my role was very much about oversight and coordination I didn't have to do a lot of hands-on in aged care, for example. It was just asking the questions and making sure that staff were managing because that was the thing. It was it's not about when I talk about staff safety, I'm talking a lot about emotional safety yes. because I had staff that her own personal situation was that they were being flooded at home and they were or not sure what was going on, so they were in working with me. So I sent some of them home, mm. and and fatigue management was another really important thing to do. And some of that oversight and setting up all the IT systems because we and that we were on very shaky ground there. So making sure people's mobiles were charged and I guess I was just I was on working on adrenaline, Kathy, yes. and I was just thinking all the time, yes. trying to have a meeting like just having a quick meeting, a quick huddle, mm. was incredibly challenging because everyone was working in a really busy space. Yes. So. I really had to call people to stop a couple of times because we actually had to regroup as a organisation managing this emergency. Yes, and, mm. and as you say, stick with the priorities. Yep. Yep. And yet there mm. were so many distractions. So Yes, yeah, incredible. So as a leader, what do you take from that day? I, I do want to move on to your uh, tent hospital yeah, <laughs> in yeah, a minute. Yeah. But from that day, as, as a leader, what did you learn about what's important in those situations? 
it's really important to be able to be identified as the leader. So wearing the correct tabards, following some of those processes and that the department has in place were incredibly valuable. Being able to make decisions and stick with those decisions and there were times when my decisions were being challenged, other people thought they had a different way and I had to be very strong. So I'm normally a consultative leader mm-hmm. and manager mm-hmm. and um, involve people and I had to switch my style and become quite authoritarian mm. on the day and say this is how this is going to run. Yes. Um, we have not got time to discuss it. I need you to do this. So that was a challenge for some of my staff I because they're not, they weren't used to seeing Jackie in that mm-hmm. light. Even in the lead up to the, to, the, to the actual day, it was, okay, how can we do this together? Yeah. Whereas on the day it was very, very direct. And, and it's, a, it's a classic enactment of the theory around leadership which is horses for courses Mm. really Mm. and amazing that you could just switch into that Mm. because of Mm. the need yes yeah Yeah. it It wasn't a conscious thing by the sound of it it was just something you had to do yes I just had to do it and I and I I guess you're running on adrenaline too so I guess you're working in that mode but I'm used to juggling a lot of balls that day I had more than I've ever had at one time but somehow or another I, I had some really good staff there too and I think that's the thing. I knew my team, I knew their capability and they were stepping up. So there were some trust relationships that I had in the organisation that I really think assisted us get through that whole period. And, and when I talk about that whole period, that was for the days that were coming that we didn't know what was ahead of us yes. either. But on that particular day, no one said... I didn't hear the word no. I heard I heard a couple of people say... Can we do it a different way? No, I want you to do it this way. And and they did. They came together and there was a couple of times I debriefed during the day. So I was really, I was aware of a couple of people that were struggling. Mm. So it was just a matter of working them beside me. And that's one thing I did also learn was working people beside me. Like, for example, one girl was um, struggling a bit, so I got her to walk with me and take notes. Right. And so, you know, it's, it's finding a role for people as well and it's not demeaning at all it's actually using their skill mm. yeah mm. once again it's at horses for courses mm. and an extreme situation calls mm. for that perhaps more than even day-to-day management oh, absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah. and there's, and the media were upon us too mm. you know the department were ringing up uh, the, the the phone was just amazing and at one point i tried to actually give the phone to someone to deal with but it that didn't work. No, they I wanted to, you. They wanted me, so yes. I had to. I was managing the phone. Um, so then it was about okay, what admin support do I need? Yes. And as the day went on, I was learning on the run as well. I need this resource. I need this resource. Yes. You might normally be a nurse, but I actually also know you can write. Yes. yes. <laughs> Come and help. Or can you make sure that all the people we've evacuated out of Gondolin Court this morning? Can you just ring them all? Go, you know, yes. the list will be there somewhere. So knowing your team was extremely very, very useful. Yeah, really useful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And knowing their strengths, but also knowing what could potentially upset them. So having that local knowledge, and that's a luxury. You don't always have that, and I know you don't always have that in these situations. I did have some of that knowledge, which was really useful. Also had great support from the medical workforce as well. The ones who could come came in and helped us, so that assisted in some of the transfers out. And But also having good relationships with colleagues, other CEO colleagues, yes. and they were ringing me on the day saying, what do you need? 
So let's fast forward to March 19th, I think, which is when yeah. your temporary urgent care centre was deployed in the car park. Yes, yes. it was. Mm. Um, what mm. happened in between? And once again, with a focus really on your leadership, the initial issues were dealt with yep. on that first mm. day. Mm. I imagine it's quite hard to pick yourself up after that, all mm. that adrenaline and mm. all that energy, and look to what's next. Mm. So mm. how did you manage that? Well, as a... As a leader of the of the health service, the community had lost their hospital overnight. So what I'd done is set up the emergency operations centre in the Newmarket Pioneer Memorial Lodge, which is across the road, and that hadn't flooded. It was actually it's actually built up, so it's got it's was an island. We set that up over there. We had a quick meeting on that Monday morning and said, what do we need? We brainstormed all of that. I had by then other staff were coming in and assisting us. But there was a, a real sense of panic. We've lost our hospital. What's going to happen? We were still managing the media, or I was still managing the media. I, I was literally managing helicopters landing on the road out the front. So it was about privacy of people as well and, man, and trying to manage some of that. Then that got a bit tricky at times. I bet. So as far as leadership goes, it was once again, I, I, I still needed to provide a lot of direction, a lot of support, and debriefing and communication so fairly quickly set up a, a bit of a pro forma for myself as to how I would communicate and I used my I've developed an emergency business continuity the community and people and twice a day I was holding these briefings with any staff member or any community people who wanted to come in and listen to where we we're at. So you worked through that so format? I worked through that format right. and I stuck to that for a long, for quite a long time. That's how I communicated. So, so that consistency mm. of message mm. you think made a difference to people knowing that that's yep. what they would get? Yep. Yeah, really important. Yeah, yeah really important. That's and it's and sometimes you get a lot of conflicting information, as you can imagine. Mm. And it was important that staff were getting consistent messaging from me because they were getting a whole lot of stories from the community. The ho- you will never get a new ho- we'll never get a hospital back again. And the media, no doubt. And the media yes. were, were as well. Yes. And I couldn't give any firm and fast answers, but I was very committed very early to do what I could to get a, to get health services back again in whatever form we could do we could so the immediate stuff was getting reconnected so getting IT getting people paid you know some of these things are really important and as a leader some of the fundamental fears that staff have had was around job loss where they're going to end up working how they're going to survive pay money etc and have I got a job and that, I imagine, can be quite mm. paralysing. Very. Just when you need them to be yeah. active mm. and flexible. Yeah. I can imagine that yeah. that would have a, a really devastating impact. Yeah, it, it was. And so I was redeploying staff to other organisations where we'd sent patients and residents. And that was part because other organisations don't didn't just have another four no, staff to look after our patients. That's right. So. I was working with, and so was the HR manager, working with the staff, and we were we were deploying staff to other organisations they'd never been to. So that was really challenging, but they stepped up, and you know the, we worked with them about where they lived and how they could get there, etc. We were also managing community expectations as well, and we we're also managing the fact that we we're still surrounded by water. Yes. So there was infection control issues. There was vermin issues. Yeah. We had snakes and all sorts of things. And, you know, they're real safety issues in the community. In the 
absolute um, most basic sense. They yeah, are real safety real issues. Safety yes. issues we had to think about. Yeah. And we had to think also about these residents. We had still had 36 residents on site, mm. which actually was up to 38 because one, we had to keep a couple with us because I could, didn't have anywhere else to go. Plus I had you know, about 20 staff, all out of this one aged care facility. So we'd turned this aged care facility into a emergency operations centre, but we had 38 people, residents, that actually also needed to be looked after as per an aged care facility. So that was about empowering staff, you know. I, I ended up saying to a lot of the staff and the managers, you know your job, I trust you, go and do it. And that's an interesting thing I always think in health. Mm. Um, Jackie, I think we've got an interesting relationship with empowerment mm. in health because mm. we have very traditional hierarchies yep. and yet we need people to be proactive and take initiative. Yeah. I always think it's a yeah. bit of a tension, really. Oh, yeah. So how yeah. did you bust through that to, to give staff the clear message that just go and do it? It was at the, at the debriefing, so the twice a day. Um, we used to do a bit of a huddle as to what's on your agenda today, listening to people's fears and making myself available and also the director of nursing and the HR manager, they were key in that as well, mm. being available and being very tuned in to other staff's needs. We were working incredible hours, yes. Cathy, like amazing, but that was a commitment that we made that we would stay on site and support them and the organisation through this period of time. How you empower staff, a lot of that's up to them, whether they'll do it, whether they can step up or yes. not. So in some cases, it's actually about putting the right person in the right place at that time, and it may not necessarily be what you would do in other situations, but it's making those decisions and, once again, sticking to them and that consistent messaging. So as the days progressed to getting to the tent, I was on the phone to the department, the department were up, the minister came up, so managing all that as well. But the consistent message was, this community needs health care. Yes. We've lost a hospital overnight. We're in, we're in an emergency situation. What can we do about it? Yes, mm. and it's not negotiable. Our job is to provide health services. Yes, that's right. Even yeah. under these conditions. Yeah, exactly. So the clarity mm. and consistency of that message yeah. Yeah. helped your staff, I guess, mm. to be really clear that, mm. okay, this is what we're doing. Mm. Yeah. Yes, yeah, that's Even right. With and all the distractions. Yes. Yeah. That's right. But also, but having that goal as well, like having that objective. So, and I look back and one thing I did was said to the staff, I will do everything I can to get our hospital back. But in the meantime, we've got to get some sort of temporary facility. I don't know what that's going to look like. And I had no, and as soon as I got word, we went out and had a big tea at one of the local places in um, in Nimurka with whoever could come out of the staff and I could announce we're getting a hospital. It's a tent but it's a hospital. So it's that sort of celebrating those small yes. milestones along the way yes. is incredibly important yes. as well. And then saying to staff, I can't do all of this. We now need to set up a hospital system within a tent. Off you go. <laughs> off you go. <laughs> and on March the 19th, off you went. Yeah, off we went, yeah. So. so tell us about the challenges of maintaining a safe, high-quality service mm. in a tent. Once again, it was it was actually looking at what the capacity and what the capability was of that structure, which we didn't know until we got it up. The technology of that place was amazing. So even though it was a tent, it had the 
facility, the electrical facilities. I mean, certainly I called on plumbers and electricians and the maintenance team, etc., to make it all happen with Ambulance Victoria, but we did make it all happen. Where did it come from, Jess? It was owned by Ambulance Victoria, so it came from Melbourne, and it was actually Chris Brook that um, authorised it in his department. So the Emergency Operations Centre within the department, I'm not sure sure what Mm. the actual name of it is, but that's where it came from. And Ambulance Victoria were the main support, so their their head office, there was a few guys in there that were just absolutely fantastic, that really supported us in getting that going. So our first thing was patient safety, who can we look after and how are we gonna communicate that to the community? It was an urgent care centre, we could keep some people for very short times because it did have six beds in it and it was in bays and each cubicle was completely self-contained. Mm. We had infection control issues because there was no running water. We had toilet hygiene issues because there was no toilet. They were real challenges for us how you can actually manage that. And the medical staff as well, okay, you, we don't have a hospital, but what can we actually provide? And, and also with the, for the doctors, what could they provide in that environment as well? So some of it was we had to trial. We had to quickly get some policies and processes and procedures up within that short-term, short-stay environment. So speed policy-making. Speed, yeah, very much. Yeah. And I guess once again saying to the staff, you have urgent care skills and where they are not feeling confident, we'll get the training in. If you, This is what, what we can do. So the, that's where ambulance were really good as well. But, you know, empowering and, and saying to the staff, you can do this. Yes. We, we're, we, we're here to support you. We had WorkSafe on our doorstep. We had OH&S challenges. So all of that, we all, in the tent, even though it was all dry when it was put up, you know, we still had a, a um, facility that was an infection control risk because yeah. it had been flooded and we were still dealing with that. So by that stage, we had insurance up as well. So that process was starting to come. We also had challenges with other organisations where we'd referred our patients when you can in, when, when you open again. So it was that communication back out, external as well. Yep, keeping the department briefed all the time, updates, etc., that's an area that is really challenging when you're in an emergency crisis and you and you need really good admin support. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. because on, that on does site. take time mm. and thought it does. to, to yep. do those briefings yep. in the way that they need to be done. Yeah. And you've got right. all this other stuff yeah. to do. And it's it's a priority because they need to know yes. we had great great department support and great ministerial support, but they could only act on the information that I was able to give them. Correct. Yeah. So yeah, doing the best that we could yes. in that. And we're also ha- we still had our residential aged care. We had still had 28 residents scattered across the region in four different facilities. So then it was about cleaning Carinya and getting those residents back. So we did that a month later. Once again, that was a challenge. Staff had lost their offices overnight. We, we had, had nowhere to work. Nowhere to work. Yeah, we, was, we had people in containers and huts and all sorts of things. But And um, I bet bringing the aged care residents back was a... A milestone, a huge milestone. Huge milestone, yes. yeah, yeah, it was. And they're the sorts of things that are very special moments that mm. you, you hang on to, yeah. So when we were doing the clinical governance and quality and safety for the tent, there were some real challenges in there, working with Ambulance Victoria, for example, and the Poisons Control Act, you know, just things like that, and you come across a bump 
these two haven't merged before. No. So it's it's knowing who to ring, knowing your networks, who can help you to navigate through this to make sure that we're compliant, that our staff are safe, our patients are safe, and our community is safe. Mm. Always a priority. And Jackie, I imagine that you came across lots of those bumps. How do you keep staff motivated to work through those issues when they're working under incredibly difficult circumstances mm. that the novelty if I might call it mm. that of the mm. initial urgency is kind of worn off a mm. bit how did you mm. keep them motivated mm. to keep tackling the issues that arose critical incident debriefing really early so we flooded on the Sunday we had the first session on the Thursday night in town getting external people in to assist with some of that and that was an ongoing program so And that's really important, and I think as time went on, making sure that staff felt heard, that they were contributing, and we didn't always get it right. There were staff that felt disengaged, and they will still today tell me those stories, and that's good because you can learn from that. I had a staff member on the day we opened the hospital that said I didn't think it had happened until today. So you have to acknowledge that people work through these things in their own way at their own pace. And yes, motivation does become a problem for some people, but you work on their strengths. And that's about also saying to the managers who get frustrated and they get tired, and they were, absolutely. Okay, what can that person do for you? So it's that strength-based, which I'm a real believer in. Anyway. Anyway, so, and I have had people, how did you do it? Well, you've just got to be positive and you've just got to realise and work with people and say, yes, we can do it. We lost some staff. I very early made a commitment to staff that I would not make any redundancies unless they became absolutely necessary. But I said to them, for me to achieve that, I need your cooperation. So... If I say we now no longer need a food services monitor in the ward, but I can give you a position in Carinia as a cleaner, that's the best I can do. It's not devaluing you. It's the best I can do. Under these circumstances. And so I guess I was trying to motivate staff by giving them some of those messages as well that I still cared. It may not seem that way all the time. But our job is to look after the patients in our community to provide health care and we'll do that the best we can. So to be able to do that, can you please take that role on? So it seems to mm. me, Jackie, that there's something very strong here around explicit messages. Mm. Yep. I think we often mm. assume things, mm. perhaps too much, yep. that, oh, staff, aren't, they understand that. Mm. But mm. you weren't or allowing them to guess. Mm. You were saying, this is what I know and this is what I don't know. There was no guessing involved Mm. and you were as clear about that as possible. But you didn't expect them to kind of sort that out for themselves. No, no. And look, there were times when my life got really busy and and I struggled to get that communication to them. And, and And there were times when you give a message to someone else and you think it's going to be delivered and it's not delivered yes. or it's not delivered in the same way. And once again, that's not about being derogatory to to anyone, but you're right, Kathy. it's about telling people what you know and what you can tell them as early as possible. And people don't read. No. Really important. They may read something, but they are in when you're in emergency or in crisis, you don't take it in don't or process it well, interpret it a different way. So, yeah, you've really got to walk the talk. Yes. I, I didn't sit at my desk for a long time after that, very much at all, other than at night time when I was trying to catch up on notes and do briefings and 
what have you, but yeah, I was out there with the staff. I think that's I think that's an incredibly strong message. People mm. don't read, they don't hear. We know mm. also in yep. emergency yep. situations or crisis situations, mm. and you being able to say, "This is what I know, and this is what I don't." Yeah, that's right. I'm not going to pretend. Yeah, obviously, mm. it was a really mm. important thing. Yes, yeah, and it maybe was. having to hear that twice or three times mm. or four times mm. before they really register. That's right. Three and a bit years later, mm. you open a beautiful new building, mm. which mm. is just fantastic. Yeah. That the community really got behind. Yeah, I've had did. a bit of a look yeah. at um, at some of the, the press around yeah. that time, yeah. and that must have been incredibly mm. exciting. Yeah. How did you rally the troops, or did you not mm. need to rally the Did the community rally itself? Community did to an extent. I mean, we I had there was a bit of pushback from the community and from some of the staff that we shouldn't be rebuilding on that site. I wondered about that. Yep, so we went through a bit of that journey and you know there was a deputation down to the minister and a few of those things that we had to manage and that that caused a bit of a split in the staff so once again communicating with them and asking them why you know why do you think that way so we're you know we're a few months down the track now and why did they think that some of them believe that but you shouldn't rebuild in a place where it's flooded before so some of it some of it was fear some of it was there was an expectation about what we could actually provide going forward and you know, when I, when I talk to them about, well, we have a whole infrastructure set up, we can't build another whole infrastructure set up two streets away in a town the size of New Merca. So some of it was misinformation, miscommunication, and working with some of the older members in the community who are actually the leaders in the community and talking to them about why. I was going to a lot of service club meetings gatherings of people etc explaining why really important and that same message back to the staff so when staff are challenged down the street they've got the right words they know what to say that's also really important in a small community probably not so much in a bigger community but in a small community it is because they all know each other so you're able to get over that yeah, Hump. so we got yeah we got over that. We built the temporary hospital with neat lines, so we designed that and insurance funded that. So we went from the tents and we set up a clinical governance system with the tents. Then we went to the temporary facilities and some more overnight but short term. So I worked with the doctors in that, and then yeah, then we had to commission the new hospital. We had some change fatigue in that time. We were losing some staff, not significant numbers, but there were some that decide that said I can't do this. So we lost a few of our staff, so then it was about recruiting. It wasn't an easy time to recruit because the future was unsure. Throughout the planning stage, I was very consultative and very inclusive. We started with master planning and went right through. I widened that up as as much as what we could, and I really did rely on the managers at that time to make sure that their staff were informed and they they were coming with us on the journey. You never get that 100% right willing to admit that and there's different ways you can do it but some and then there's some people that don't want to come on the journey no they just don't it wouldn't matter what you did we had national standards accreditation in the middle of all that as well so what Um, building were you in when you had accreditation the temporary temporary. yeah so but we'd only been in it six months when we had the accreditation it went well a lot of preparation work and a lot of hard work in the immediate lead-up period a lot of exec support more there was more exec support and more exec leadership at that time than what you would normally have and it was actually once again working one-on-one with staff saying to the wound management guru you can do this I know you can do this saying to the to the um, ICU trained nurse you do deteriorating patient I know you can you know so it's once again working with them one-on-one 
and creating a sense of well, creating a real team but also a sense of team around the unit manager so she didn't feel isolated and the quality manager as well so I guess Jackie important. too because you took a risk-based approach right from day one mm. it wasn't such a stretch to the national standards because mm. you were in that mindset already yeah. there was obviously a lot of work to mm. do mm. but you didn't suddenly have to say oh now we've managed that emergency now we have to start thinking about clinical governance mm. you were thinking about it all along yes yes yeah and it was a journey it's part of the story that we did that yeah yeah and the end goal remembering the end goal the end goal is we're going to have a state-of-the-art hospital new health facility out of this we were able to uh, we won some money from the commonwealth to build through the health hospital fund to build a new primary care center so we went from just a new hospital to a new integrated primary health and a hospital facility. So it was Fantastic. about maximising that as well. So when it came to commissioning, there was a, we had a lot of runs on the board. So we were able to once again get those teams going and we were flexible in our rostering and some of those things that you just put in place to make sure that people feel supported and empowered to do the best that they can to get on with the job. Mm. So, Jackie, how did you look after Jackie? Oh, <laughs> that's a challenging question, Cathy. <laughs> <laughs> However, look, in, incredibly yeah. important in this situation. Um, yeah, look, there, there were times it was tough and I left the family at home for a lot of it and that was tough. I, and I do have an incredibly strong support network around me I also had an incredibly loyal community that were willing to work with me and that gives you a lot of strength. So yeah, I dug deep a few times but I also knew what I had around me and if I needed time out, I knew it was okay to do that. The board of management were very supportive. They provided great leadership. They allowed me to really run with what I thought was best a lot of the time but they also came in behind me and supported me when I needed. I also had other support, like we had a um, loss adjuster, for example, that I got in very early to work on the insurance. So it was that I pulled in a lot of resources at that time that allowed me to do some of the things that were important to me, which was the communication with the staff, making sure that we were focused on that end goal, but knowing that insurance claim was still going ahead, that though the aged care was still running mm. you know that our quality our AL accreditation we were still able to meet some of those milestones that we needed to do because remembering we at Nimurka there's 87 beds but 66 of them are aged care yes so it's two-thirds of our bed-based service so it was really important that we kept an eye on that and made sure that that those areas were um, valued and looked after. You couldn't allow that just to drop off no, while you no. attended to other things. No. And that's and that's the thing about healthcare, isn't it? Mm. As, as, as we often say, it's like fixing the plane in flight. Mm. You mm. can't ground the plane. No, you can't. Yeah, So I, and I think once we got the, the go-ahead to build the new hospital and the business cases and, and things started to fall in place, it was still incredibly busy and... You know, I gave a lot of myself, I know that. But I'm, I really believed then that we were on the right journey That, and I, I, was, I had some confidence then that the leadership that we'd provided was actually coming through and we had the confidence of the community, of our neighbouring colleagues and also of the government and the department that 
you know, this was a project that was going to go ahead. That you could yeah. really do it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I suppose that brings mm. its own momentum once you get into that mm. mindset. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And, you know, you, you have your challenges along the way. I had some challenges with a couple of star- senior staff members that left and there was a bit of a hole there. So, you know, it's normal business, but in an organisation that was still in recovery mode, it becomes a bit more um, critical about filling the pe- those positions with the right people. And... Make, and also the other thing, Kathy, around leadership, which I'll go just to go back on, is my exec actually lost their way for a little while, and through this process. through this process, and it was early on in the first few months, and they were used to me providing a lot of the leadership and a lot to them directly, and I was asking them to, you know, step up and you're empowered. You need to run your areas and call me if you need. And, yeah, that fell over a little bit. So that dynamic Mm. changed. You're asking them to change the dynamic of the exec. Mm. And when you say it fell over, what do you mean by that? They weren't working as a team like they used to. They were looking for that direction and decision-making and they were getting tired. And they were being challenged by, you know, they had managers and, and staff who were struggling. So they were starting to struggle. So that support network was not as robust as what it needed to be and you know when I realized it we we got in some resources and did some team building and some what's important so what were Um, the signs the signs were staff were starting to talk about weren't being communicated with I was trying to move away from the sole reliance on me as being that communicator and the face that it needs to be other people as well and there was a bit of probably a bit of a lack of confidence in that and if I look back as a learning, I did. I was the front person for a, nearly all of this. Yes. I think if I did it again, wow, I would actually try and have a couple of people standing with me yes. and doing that because it's, I guess, people let me do it and I did it. If they had wanted to be there, there would have been absolute come with me along yes. the way, but it was okay to let Jackie be out there. Yes. It was okay to for me to be that front person. So Jackie, does that change the way you work with your exec now? It does, and, and it's interesting because, I, as you know, I had the health challenges in 2014, so I yes. went on extended sick leave. I signed the contract for the new building and off I went. And so that, in some ways that spun the organisation out a bit again because it's, my goodness... Where's she going yes. and, and what, will we, do what now? will we do? So I put in some acting, but it was a bit unclear when, when I'd be back. But the team gathered then. What I did once again was said to them, you're able to do this. I'm still in the background. I won't be in the fore. I'm available, but I may not always be available. Trust yourselves. Trust you. I'm a big believer in your own intuition, your own gut feel. feels right with your intuition, but work together as a team. So look after each other. And that's what I needed to say back early in the days when I realised that the team was falling apart was, hang on, us as a team need to look after each other. We need to support each other. And what else do we need to bring in to do that? So if you were starting at another organisation, for example... Mm. What would be your leadership style with a new executive? How would you kick it off? It would depend where the organisation was at. I'd be doing a sit and a look for a little bit. 
if I needed to act, I would. So if there was if there was some looming something going on, I'd be okay. We need to act on this, and I need to make some quick decisions. So I would I I would have every confidence that I'd come in and explain to people this is my normal style but at the moment we've got to get this done so how are we going to do it where are the resources where's the team who's got the skills so you'd be doing that very quick analysis I'd be also looking at some of the indicators too though where's our patient safety indicators where's our quality indicators what structure have we actually got in place right now that supports this organization and I think that's really important and I think through the recovery phase some of the structures that I had in place that I'd been doing early I think actually stood us in good stead so we'd done the work with yourself with the quality improvement mm. plan I'd actually done a bit of a restructure and I'm a big believer you need to review these things every few years yes. so I'd been there at 2008 I came 2011 I'd actually spent a lot of that year reviewing our structure and it was just coincidence that that then led us into the next yes. phase our strategic planning was up, so we had a sh- we did a strategic plan that got us through to right now. We're redoing our strategic plan again. We're just doing an organisation review. Some people say why? Because we need to make sure that we're contemporary and we're meeting the needs of our community and our staff. Yeah, we're and sustainable. In this and business, you've got to keep moving. You've got to keep moving because if forward. you're not moving, you're actually going backwards. That's right. And yeah, the, the erosion mm. of standards mm. and the erosion of mm. things that worked well once mm. is very fast in healthcare. It Things is. drop off more quickly, mm. I think, than people understand. Oh, they do. Yeah. They do. And you can't... The other thing I learned right all the way through this is you can put a new a tent, a temporary building, and you can bring it, build a brand-new state-of-the-art facility that doesn't change the culture of your staff no. or the organisation or what you believe in or your values. You need to take those with you. So we did some values work um, when I came back from leave at the beginning of last year in preparation for this incredible period of change we're yes. about to embrace again. Where, where are we as an organisation? You know, this isn't about strategy. This is about what do we believe in? What's our, why are we here? What are our values? What are our behaviours? What's our leadership program? What's our style as an, as an exec and as a senior management team? being consistent and mm. that's about good times and bad absolutely yes. yeah last question mm. what would you have done differently if you could travel back in time anything stand out for you probably go back and look after my exec a bit more I think I think they felt a bit Jackie's out there where we're back here so you know making sure that they're standing right beside me and that's a leadership lesson I think mm. and it's probably something that I've I've had before where I've stepped out in front and thought I'm going to need to have people with me not behind me so that's a really important one some of the some of the resources I think Kathy you you, you're on the fly you and you get into this mode of you can do everything you need actually need to stop sometimes and I didn't stop enough a couple of times and said Where's, the, where's where's everyone? We need some external support in here yep. to get this, and and that that's okay. Yes. Yeah. Do you think yeah. that's once again is that a bit of a healthcare thing that we can do it, um, and if if it's hard, we just try harder instead of hang on, yeah. actually this is not really doable. Yeah. We do need another way or more resources. Yeah. Do you think it's a bit of a psyche of healthcare? Yeah, I th- I think it is. I think it's also something to do with our governance model as well. Oh. I think also boards 
boards are in their positions and you know they work for the with the health organization they're the, they're the representatives and whilst my board were fabulous and anything I asked for they said yes the system hasn't actually said you can go outside and I think I've been doing some work with a couple of health services recently about what can we do together we should be getting our board chairs together we should be actually sharing this our we really need that partnership work and strengthening strengthening our platform of what we actually provide that's challenging the system I think because we're not used to that we're used to looking after our own patch financially staffing education risk management quality management we do it all internally so yeah I think there's I think there's some real opportunities in the system to think differently to think Um, differently and I guess mm. to put some systems in place that facilitate Mm. more sharing more working together more flexibility around that yeah Yeah. it's an interesting observation and watching lots of different organizations go through periods of of incredible growth incredible change difficult times and other organizations some will pick up the phone or some will say what can i do but sometimes you're actually not in that place to really know what you need to do like you're managing your own and particularly when I was going through all the flood stuff I was just thinking I'm not sure what I need no so I think that's a difficult thing for people to grapple with when they ring up yes. <laughs> and say, and say oh, how can I help yeah. what do you need oh, yeah. well I don't really know you don't know and it sounds really silly but I don't think we're we're taught that no um, that's interesting necessarily yeah that's that having people beside you working with you coming up you know and challenging your thinking yes it's okay to be challenged it's okay to be told well Jackie we could actually do that a bit differently but once again in the end you had to make a call on yeah some of those suggestions yep. and challenges yes yeah you do yeah yeah that's right and that's about prioritizing again and yep. and I guess I was I, and I don't know where the frameworks come up sometimes you you're on the fly and you think of them but you've got to give you've got to give yourself the opportunity and the chance to see if it'll work or not yes yeah you've got to sometimes kathy you just got to dig deep and say yep this is I've got, I've, this will work yes mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. it has to it has to work yeah <laughs> and on that note i want to say thank you so much for your time and for sharing Sorry. your experience and your mm-hmm. wisdom and your That's lessons right. learned it's such an amazing situation that you've been through mm, mm. and just fantastic that we can all gain from that so yeah. thank you so much Jackie Phillips. All right. thanks Kathy